0: Hello and welcome back to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity Podcast. Hello again, I'm Christine Burns. The size and importance of the voluntary and community sector in British society is often underestimated. There's more talk these days about engaging with charities and volunteer run organisations because they're seen as a means through which to fulfil statutory responsibilities for consultation. But when we use the throwaway title Third Sector, are we doing an injustice to the real scale and impact they have? Voluntary Sector Northwest is an umbrella group which supports this sector in Northwest England. Their chief executive is Richard Caulfield. I recently met up with Richard in Manchester and I began by asking him to explain about his organisation. Richard, welcome to Just Plain Sense. If we start from the very beginning, how did Voluntary Sector Northwest come into being?
1: Initially, um, Voluntary Sector Northwest was a project that was developed out of um, GMCVO and um, the Greater Manchester umbrella body and I think it came around at a time as regional structures started to exist and the need for a regional voice for the voluntary and community sector became apparent. So you're talking um, the late 90s as the Regional Development Agency and other regional structures were developed by the new Labour government it became a requirement really for the sector to interact with these agencies effectively. Um, It started off as a project and then as the need grew Um, The need for an independent organisation operating at that regional level came and we, uh, about 1999-2000, became an incorporated organisation in our own right. Um, And we've been operating since then as our own individual charity.
0: Okay, just for the benefit of those who don't know, uh, GMCVO is Greater Manchester Council for Voluntary Organisations?
1: I think so. That I often get one of Mm -hmm. them initials wrong because I think they might have changed it.
0: Coming back to voluntary sector Northwest, what do we? What do you actually do? Um,
1: well, our key role is to ensure that um, the voluntary sector has a role in really influencing um, policy that affects the Northwest. So, our job really involves looking at policy as it comes out from government, whether that be. National government or um, government, de- well, each government department, and interpreting that and seeing where the voluntary sector fits into that, both as a, a deliverer of services, as an employer, um, and as a champion for people's voice within the development of services and development of um, things that affect the day to day lives of people. So, what that practically means is. Um, we have policy workers who are interpreting policy, arranging consultations and trying to get the voice of the sector so that we are able to represent it effectively. Um, and it means, I'm afraid to say, sitting in lots of meetings where these things happen and talking to the key decision makers around the region. So, um, there's, for instance, uh, later this week I'll be going to the Regional Economic Strategy Advisory Group which will be looking at the regional economic strategy which will have a huge impact on the North West. We need to make sure that the sector understands that strategy. We need to understand, ensure that the sector's got a role to play, and it's my job to be at their meetings championing the sector and making sure we, our voice is heard.
0: How did you come into voluntary sector work?
1: It's quite a long story, really. I think my route into it, like possibly many people, was volunteering. Um, when I finished school, I went off and worked in insurance, but I volunteered... in in a youth centre and and running some sports clubs that led me to go back to university and then after university I I continued to volunteer throughout my time, I've always had one voluntary role or another Um, I worked for community service volunteers and then apart from two years out recently working in the private sector albeit working with voluntary sector organisations my career from then has been, the last 16 17 years has been in the voluntary and community sector
0: and how big is that sector these days?
1: That's always a really good question, because I think uh, we, uh, we struggle to nail that down. Um, but our latest research suggests there are something in the region of 32,000 groups in the northwest west alone.
0: 32,000?
1: Yep. Yeah, that's pretty huge and, and, and quite enormous, really. And my, I would guess that it's possibly more than that, because I think there are lots of groups out there that we don't necessarily perceive as being voluntary and community sector that don't identify. So I'm not sure that if you went and identified every single sports group out there and you went out and found every little group that was meeting to maybe play a bridge in an evening and the likes, that requires volunteers to organise, set it up, run it make it happen. I think you'd find it's even more than that.
0: So what's a typical voluntary sector organisation like? Or is it wrong to say there is a typical one?
1: I think, yeah, typical, I, I don't think there is such a thing. Um, I guess some people get hung up on whether there should be voluntary community sector as well when we talk about that. So, you know, it could range from um, a group that we set up in my local neighbourhood with two or three of us who've got an idea, maybe Neighbourhood Watch or something to try and just keep an eye on things in my local area or setting up a youth group for kids literally in the street through to something like groundwork is technically a charity and in the voluntary sector and that organisation is absolutely ginormous. It's running an eight million program eight million pound programme in the North West on health. Um, you know, these are huge, huge charities and some of the big nationals. So they're technically part of the sector. So Nothing's typical about the sector at all. What is typical is that every single one of them relies at some level on volunteers, whether that's volunteer board members or volunteers to actually make the activity happen. That's the one consistent, that every organisation in there involves volunteers in some way, shape or form.
0: But in among those volunteers, there are also then people who are actually sometimes paid to, to do the actual work of the organisation.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that. um There are organisations that have no paid staff through to... I think that um, it's probably the vast majority of the sector doesn't have paid staff, Um, so the number of paid staff. The majority of paid staff in the voluntary and community sector, for example, are in health and social care. It's reckoned that something like 55% of all paid staff in the voluntary and community sector are in the health and social care field. Now, if you think of the range of diversity in that field, so I talked about sports clubs most of them will be totally run and organised by volunteers just about every sports team you ever see playing football on the field, cricket in the park will all be run and organised by volunteers, larger organisations you know have huge structures and and I'm glad to say that some of these are now starting to pay salaries that are appropriate for chief executives of very large major organisations um, you know, some of these organisations groundwork if it's to £8 million on just the health programme. You know, these. we need quality people in doing them jobs. And actually working and being a professional in the voluntary sector isn't necessarily about being, you know, underpaid and ha- accepting lower wages and lower terms and conditions just because you're working in the charitable or voluntary sector.
0: I, I suppose it's like sport a bit. The amateur doesn't necessarily mean substandard.
1: No, that, absolutely, absolutely uh, the sector the sec- I, I don't like to either over egg the sector or over criticise it to anyone else, there are great voluntary sector organisations that are very well run, there are some that aren't so well run, but that would be the same for private sector and that would be the same for the public sector, one can't generalise too much I think um, but I think what what's important for me about the sector and why I work in the sector and why I'm committed to it are the values that underpin your work why I come to work on a daily basis and what that means and that, that does compensate for money to some extent but at the end of the day everyone's got bills to pay but you know the, the values of the sector are what make it unique and about how they go about that work um, but I'm not going to sit and make a claim that we are always better are always worse than the private but we are as good as and there are as many good people working in the voluntary sector it's not a soft option it's not where you come to work to get out of the rat race to get out of that it's as hard to work in the voluntary sector as it is anywhere else
0: and it, it employs quite a lot of people I've, I've heard estimates of about 200,000
1: Um crikey now I'm uh, doing all the statistical recall um, I think it is yeah, I think we are talking about two hundred two I think it's two hundred thousand full time equivalents actually. I think you're probably nearer three hundred thousand if you include people as part time as individuals. And that's in the north west again. You know, so we're a significant employer if you see us as a sec- as a holistic sector. Now, as I said, then there are different parts to our sector if you took the um, but we are a significant sector, and one of the things there's two things that stick out about our workforce, um, which are quite interesting. I think um, well, there's several. But one one is that um, it's a very well qualified workforce, and quite often um, we find strategies come along that say, "Oh, let's try and help out the voluntary sector," you know, because there'll be low skills there, and actually, when they come in, they find that the sector is actually more skilled than any of the other sectors. Um, but we're very bad at Develop, staff development yeah. the sector is very poor at um, helping to develop its staff investing in staff development to help people move on and I think that's something we've got to explore and even more frighteningly but I think this comes from a different reason the sector ends up in employment tribunals more often than any other sector I think that's partly about staff knowing rights and understanding their rights um, which is a good thing um, but it also maybe says something about how we sometimes manage them and the the management processes or maybe the resources we've got to put into pure management time and administration. People are very quick to jump on administration costs in voluntary organisations. You know, shouldn't they be spending it on their service delivery, not on just the bureaucracy and running it? Well, some of them systems need to be in place and actually better spend it there than paying out huge amounts of fees in employment tribunals, I think.
0: You, you mentioned the, the the high level of expertise. Do, do you think the rest of society, particularly the the public authorities, make the best use of use of that?
1: Um, no, I think um, I think we generally are undervalued in terms of our overall contribution, um, and I don't think that I think that's because sometimes in that bubble we fail to sort of make our case. Sometimes about what our impact is. So, for instance, one of the major bodies that we work with, we've got to try and demonstrate the economic impact of the voluntary sector. Well, it's very easy to demonstrate the, in- the economic impact of a business that employs three people and sells things. That's very easy and that makes it easy for people to work with. What's really difficult is to look at the economic impact of the group that is running out two nights a week with a drop in centre that's ensuring that people are have the mental health that allows them to be at work, that sustains people, that keeps them going day to day. I think that we struggle to make the case about, you know, whether any, what the other, you know, we don't often have a direct impact on the economy, but I think we have huge, massive indirect um, impact on that. And I think we, we have to learn to make that case better but I do think that sometimes we have a, a problem getting people to listen to us because we don't offer easy answers. And I think sometimes I think the government look for the voluntary sector to be the provider of easy answers when we're not. We're part of complex answers that cost a lot of money to deliver. And the voluntary sector isn't the cheap sector to deliver them.
0: So where do organisations that we're talking about get the funding they need to operate?
1: Um, I think this is going to become increasingly worrying, um, particularly in the current economic climate. But the sector, the, the, there's a range of things. That The bigger organisations are increasingly taking part in competitive tendering and, and s- providing services for um, that have been traditionally provided by local authorities by, by the state. So I think that they will continue to tender and, and, and to get that money. What, what's happening at the bottom end, though, is there's a move away from... Grants, And I feel as though people have almost turned the grant culture into uh, a dirty word as a wrong thing. Whereas there is an absolute place for grants, short-term funding, small funding. Lots of these groups can sustain themselves on very small amounts of money, but you have huge impact. Um, So I think that technically councils often provide some small grants, primary care trusts the health service provides grants there are a few small trust funds around that providing money but the reality is these pots are starting to dry up a bit more um and i think that we, we need to shift back the focus on that and get back to you know a lot of the big charities today came out of small grants of somebody's idea in a back room building up on it and developing it and it turning into something big if we don't invest in them smaller groups now we won't get them big things in the future and I think that's really important for people to look at Mm -hmm. and although this isn't directly an answer to your question but I'm good at tangents I was reading some research the other day um, about volunteering and it was Wirral PCT had looked at the effect of volunteers in their health service and they showed that for every pound spent on volunteers at their They got £9 back in terms of the service that was delivered by them volunteers, which I think is really fascinating. Now, I don't see why that would be hugely different to volunteers elsewhere in many respects. So if investing in volunteers and investing in the voluntary sector has them sort of returns, then we really have to make the case for money to be thrown in that direction.
0: So, so you're saying that there are ways of being able to determine what would, be, what would happen if the voluntary sector wasn't there?
1: Um, there are, oh, I don't know whether you could work out what would happen if the voluntary sector wasn't there. I actually think that society would suffer a major, <laughs> major breakdown if they... Uh, it would be much worse than the banking crisis, believe me, because I think the sector actually is part of the fabric that interweaves. I think it's, uh, you'd be pulling away some of the major things that keep... Society on track, you know, when you look at the breadth of the sector and the work we do so I don't think we could ever work out what it wasn't and I don't think it ever will not be there because there is a movement of people in this country that will never ever stop that activity, whether they identify and would stick their hand up and say I'm from the volunteering community sector or whether they just go about their volunteering, their contribution to society in their way the fabric of our society depends upon them people and the actions of them organisations and they'll always be there, I'm sure about that
0: If I I can take you back to an earlier point you made, you you referred to the role of grants, and one of the problems of of grants is that they tend to be fairly short-term. They're a year or three years, and even if it's a three-year grant, you, you perhaps spend the first year setting up, the second year doing what you're going to do, and the third year worrying about... How are you going to continue afterwards? Is there then a a case for taking a longer-term view? For instance, you mentioned PCTs uh, about people starting to think seriously about professionally commissioning um, some voluntary sector organisations to provide some of the some of the services that society needs.
1: I think there's a continuum, um, and I think we need to look at that balance of. What needs to be procured? What, are, what needs to be procured? What is it that the, the health service needs, for example? And can it go and get that? And can a voluntary sector organisation, is a voluntary sector organisation or community organisation, best place to deliver it? And they may purchase that service for a long period of time. But having said that, some needs are very specific, very short term, and very here and now, and might not be here in two years' time. So, mm-hmm. so there is a there is the place for that short term funding that is tackling that here and now issue, through to that sort of, yes this is a service we know we want and really we need to look at a longer term contract to, to do it and I've seen places where they've given rolling contracts so they'll give a three year rolling contract so the contract is always three years after every year they re-add on to the end where the sector are delivering really important services and that's vital and that's great and that's really good practice, I, I like to see that but I'm not going to say there isn't a place for the one year or even you know some some things like uh, you know some of very project-based grants as well that can deliver you know the celebrate grants which are very specific very short term, have a role as well
0: so last question what what would be the single most important thing that you think anyone could do to make life easier for voluntary sector organizations to operate and thrive
1: one single thing I'll tell you what I I'm going to jump to something slightly different here, but um, I went out to Australia um, a couple of years ago. And one of the things out there, if I understand it correctly, is that if you work in a not-for-profit organisation, your tax allowance is higher. It increases, and the staff salary is increased. And I don't think that's a huge burden on the taxpayer. And I think that could help the sector attract staff return staff and develop further. And I know that's not fitted within the let's talk about funding or commissioning or that type of thing. But I think a clever idea like that would inject money into the sector indirectly in terms of being able to offer better salaries or better terms and conditions. And it's some way of nationally government and society acknowledging the work of people in the not for profit sector. And I think that would be a really clever way of supporting the sector.
0: I've never heard anybody suggest that before. That's a really good way to end. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Richard Caulfield there, the Chief Executive of Voluntary Sector Northwest. Northwest England, with a population of 6.8 million people, is similar in many ways to England's eight other regions, so the true national scale of the voluntary sector can be judged from this. For more information about Voluntary Sector Northwest, look at their website, www.vsnw.org. .org.uk Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Just Plain Sense. If you've enjoyed it, then there are plenty of previous programmes to listen to at our website. That's podcast.plain-sense.co.uk You can also subscribe to our feed there and be informed the moment new programmes are available. For now, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production.